Pharmacology 2, Section 2, 5 of 17, Testing Recovery from Neuromuscular Blockade. Sequence of Neuromuscular Block. Muscle groups respond differently in terms of onset, duration, and sensitivity to neuromuscular blockade. As a general rule, more central muscles are paralyzed faster and recover sooner than peripheral muscles. This is complicated by the amount of blood flow that each muscle receives as this impacts drug delivery and removal. Save yourself a trip down the rabbit hole. Here's what you have to know. Best place to measure onset of blockade intubation conditions is orbicularis oculi, so closest eyelid, or corrugator supercilii eyebrow twitch, so the nerve here is a facial nerve. And best place to, to measure recovery of blockade, return of upper airway muscle function, is adductor polyasis, thumb adduction or flexor hallucilis, big toe flexion. The nerve is the ulnar nerve or posterior tibial. Relying on the flexion of the fifth finger overestimates recovery. How do we define recovery? Historically, it was believed that a train-over ratio of 0.7 correlated with full recovery. More recent evidence suggests that full recovery doesn't occur until a train-over ratio is greater than 0.9 at the adductor polyasis. Therefore, residual neuromuscular blockade is defined as train-over ratio less than 0.9. Despite our best efforts, the risk of residual neuromuscular blockade is 20 to 40 percent, highlighting the general inaccuracy of even the best subjective bedside tests of recovery. The data we obtain from the peripheral nerve stimulator is highly subjective, and it's difficult to detect visual or tactile fade when the train over ratio is greater than 0.4. This upper airway musculature, example genioglosis, is exquisitely sensitive to the effects of muscle relaxants. The ability to protect the airway may not fully return until the train over ratio is greater than 0.9. Bedside test neuromuscular function. The most commonly used methods of assessing recovery from neuromuscular blockade rely on some degree of user subjectivity and or patient cooperation. This is a problem because inadequate recovery places the patient at risk for airway obstruction and pharyngeal dysfunction, increased risk of aspiration. Sometimes we have to work with tools available to us, and as you can see in the table, not all methods are created equal. It's critical to understand that tidal volume and vital capacity are normal in settings of 70 to 80% receptor blockade, and relying on these endpoints alone puts the patient at risk for residual neuromuscular blockade. The assessment method towards the bottom of the table are among the most sensitive bedside tests of recovery. So we have a table here that uh, compares the acceptable clinical endpoint and the maximum percent of receptors occupied when acceptable clinical endpoint is achieved. So I think here, um, yeah, I have to just read this again. Um, Barish cites a study where holding a tongue blade in the mouth against force may be more sensitive than a sustained head lift. Train of work ratio 0.86 and 0.62 respectively. If you are asked which test is best, we would go with a tongue blade test over any other qualitative assessment of recovery. In some circumstances, however, even our most sensitive bedside assessment aren't sensitive enough to reliably predict the full recovery of skeletal muscle function. This problem is most likely solved by employing quantitative methods of assessment, such as electromyography or acceleromyography. 
Current limitations include the fact that these devices must be calibrated to each patient before a neuromuscular blocker is administered. Perhaps most importantly, this technology is simply not available in many operating rooms across the country.